So as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, we're very fortunate, very blessed this year that uh, November 13th, the Feast of our patron saint lands on a Sunday so we can celebrate her day with pomp and some solemn circumstances with a Sunday Mass. And uh, for me, a blessing too, as things work out in God's designs that on my last November here in the parish and uh, on her last feast day, it's a Sunday for me. So it's kind of a special gift from heaven that I can do this this year with you. So different readings, so not the usual Sunday ones. These are taken from the Common for Virgins, because she, Mother Cabrini, was a professed and consecrated virgin in her religious life. And the Gospel especially, uh, a virgin who worked for the poor and for the underprivileged. And I've always felt like the Gospel we just heard especially is kind of like our, our parish Gospel in many ways, which we'll get to in a second, um, because it's about her and about how we ought to imitate her too. So anyway, different kind of a day, different readings, different uh, feast, and a little different homily today, too, uh, perhaps, than I normally do. So for the occasion, uh, just a few facts about St. Francis Cabrini's life and death a little bit, and maybe you know these things, maybe you don't. And then when that's done, just a couple of points about you know, how perhaps we reflect these things in our own lives and how her life hopefully inspires us to live a little bit more like she did, hopefully to be saints in God's sight as we all seek to be. So on this feast day, some things about Mother Cabrini. First of all, born in 1850, so mid-1800s on July 15th in Lombardy, Italy. So across the ocean, at the time that was Austria, now it's the Italian territory, but that's where she was born. And she was the youngest of 13 children, so a very, very big family. Not uncommon those days, and also not uncommon, they almost all died. Only four of them made it to adulthood, she being one of the four. And the story, the legend I was reminded after the last mess someone told me is that when she was born, the youngest and last ones, uh, doves kind of flew up from the house as a sign that something special had truly happened on that occasion. The thing of it is, though, too, while the last born, she was also born premature by a couple of months. And in those days, almost always a death sentence, but she survived miraculously. But it left her for all of her life very um, compromised physically, so a little bit short in stature and just facing physical challenges, especially with her lungs. You might understand what that would be for an underdeveloped child, perhaps. And so right out of the gate, uh, she had these obstacles, this opposition to deal with in her own physical self. But it didn't impact her attitude. Um, as a young little girl, it uh, is said that she began to think about what it meant to be a missionary. She wanted to go far away and preach the gospel to places in far-off territories, especially, she thought, the East, as in Asia. She heard about the story of one of her heroes, Francis Xavier, the Jesuit, and said, I want to be like that one day and be in that same kind of a mode as a missionary. She grew up, went to school, did well in school, and then as she got into adulthood, began to realize that she was called by God to dedicate her life to Jesus she loved the Sacred Heart, she had a beautiful devotion to the heart and wanted to sort of be espoused, if you will, to God, and had a heart for the poor and those around her who were suffering. Suffer herself, I think she had an ear and a heart for those who also struggled. So she decided at the age of 30 to officially make a, a congregation, a new order of sisters around herself. And she did so with the idea that she would take care of the poor in their midst. And so she founded the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That's what she named them after, and the idea would be that after the Lord's own heart, they would be compassionate to those in need. This was challenging. The local uh, church authorities weren't keen on this at first. She faced some twists and turns and challenges, but she persevered. And then after a few years at that, in uh, 1887, so she's uh, 37 at this point now, 
She went to Rome to talk to the Pope to say, can I take my community, my new order that I've just founded, and go to the East? I want to be a missionary. We all want to be missionaries. Can I go to China, essentially? And the Pope said no. He said, actually, I want you to go west, go to America. Because what's happening in the 1880s, and the Pope explained this to her, is that all these Italians are leaving here, they're going over there, they're going to New York and the big cities, and there they're getting lost in the shuffle. They don't know other Italians, there's no Italians to teach them the faith in their own language, they don't know about the sacraments, someone's got to take care of them, so can you go not east, but west? So west she did. So another challenge, another twist or turn, but she did get her wish, and so her sisters and her moved. And in 1889, they arrived after sailing across the Atlantic in New York City to meet Archbishop Corrigan. You might know this part of the story because it's, it's kind of well known about the situation. She gets there after all of this rigmarole and all this travel, and it's a lot across the Atlantic in the late 1800s. And the Archbishop says, well, I don't really want you here. I wasn't told you were coming. And he, she got a very cool reception from him. So undeterred, she simply said, well, can I do anything around here? And... Uh, yeah, take care of the sick as you want, to be kind of dismissed her. And again, undeterred, she and her sisters um, found residence in a local kind of rundown dwelling. They made an orphanage out of it and began to, out of the place, take care of the neighborhood children as best they could. And they sold handwork and things, and took donations, and lived from the donations of the kind people around them. And she began to make a, a network as time would pass of these little care centers at a time when there was no such thing as government support. The church had to do it all, and she, she did. So there she began to grow her ministry and her presence, especially with the Italians, but also beyond. She founded hospitals, she founded orphanages, she founded schools. Any place she saw there was a need, she said the church must step in and be the heart of Jesus for these people. So undeterred, she just worked and worked and worked, and her congregation grew and grew and grew. Eventually, as time passes, she is going to spend time traveling across the United States, founding more hospitals and more schools and orphanages, going back and forth across the Atlantic a few times on that long ship journey, and also going to South America. She was called by God to go down there, and she founded institutions in South America too, orphanages, schools, hospitals, and her congregation became international. So all that in her lifetime. So finally, uh, a little bit about her death. In uh, December of 1917, she was in Chicago because she had founded institutions there too, including Columbus Hospital, which is on kind of the just north side of the downtown there, present day. And around Christmas time, she was getting gifts together for the sick kids in the hospital, and she herself fell ill with malaria. And she died a few days later. So December 22, 1917 is when she died in Columbus Hospital, the, the place that she founded. So only a few hours south of here, this great saint left this earth, this holy and revered and loved figure. So she was only 67. She wore herself out for Jesus, working, 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 and running everywhere. And yet this is kind of a cool fact that by the time she had died, her and her order, but really basically her, had founded 67 schools, hospitals, and orphanages in America and in South America, one for every year of her life. That's a lot of work, Okay. So, so beautiful was her heart and love for those most in need. Along the way, before she died, um, she did think it very important to become a recognized legal American citizen. So she took the exam and became a citizen, a naturalized citizen. And so when she died, she died an American, and she was very proud of this fact. 
So therefore, when she was canonized as a saint in 1946, she became the first canonized U.S. citizen ever, foreign-born but fully legally naturalized here. And for the Italians especially, this was a big thing, right, that one of their own had become an American and become a saint. Pretty cool. Only uh, nine years later, to come up to our neck of the woods, up to the north here from where she died in 1955, uh, the Archbishop of Milwaukee decided that a new parish was needed in town here because Holy Angels was bursting at the seams in the 50s in this country. We were all burgeoning back then. So they carved out a new parish to the south of Holy Angels. And he said in 1955, in light of this new American saint, it will be called St. Francis Cabrini Parish after this new hero of us in this country. So that's how we got to be tied in with her. And she's been with us in beautiful spirit ever since. Patronage of immigrants, and of course, all those who care for the sick and the poor in a special way. So a little bit about Mother Cabrini, if you didn't know those things, there's of course more, but that's some highlights, right? Um, from that, you know, what does it mean for us? A couple quick thoughts about that, right? As we celebrate her feast day today with some pomp and splendor. First of all, I think it's uh, helpful to just ponder for a second what drove this person, this interesting, fascinating, saintly figure. Because here she grows up in Lombardy, Italy, across the world, and can do anything in life, right? And she decides that the most important thing in the world is for someone to know Jesus. That's what a missionary understands. A missionary says the most important thing is that people have to know the Lord. And in her heart, it was a crime to think that anybody on this world, on this earth, did not know Jesus. So when one understands that and feels it in one's bone, one says, I must give my life to teaching people about him. It's the most important thing. So that's what made her uh, able to withstand all the challenges, to face down all the obstacles, even within the church, to make all these journeys, do all this work, because she said the most important thing is the Lord. That's the most important thing. This is a great example, you know, I mean, I, I think we can ask the question today, what drives us in the world, right? And I think you might say that our missionary zeal has slackened a bit in this country, if I can put it in those terms. We're all very live and let live about things these days, and you've got your creed, I got my creed, and your truth and my truth. But a missionary doesn't think that way. A missionary realizes that it's a crime if you do not know that Jesus Christ loves you, has died for you, wants to wash you in baptism, feed you with himself, and take you to heaven. If you do not know that, that's a crime, right? Hopefully, being students of her, as our patron saint here, we would adopt the same kind of attitude. And think about, you know, what's most important to us. A lot of things are important, right? We have families, we have jobs, we have the world, we have all these cares, and, and they all are good things. They all matter to us a lot. But a Christian, a missionary, a, a student of Mother Cabrini says, Jesus is most important. He's always most important. From that, I think we can learn a, a great deal. Also, something else to think about in her case, how do we handle opposition and setbacks? Things that go wrong, things that are challenging. In her case, she was born with a setback, born premature, and had health issues all of her life. Setbacks with the local bishop, setbacks something like that with the pope, setbacks with the Archbishop of New York and with local authorities constantly. How did she respond? She prayed, and she trusted, and she believed, and she didn't start a riot, he didn't go on Twitter and complain, okay, and didn't do something really obnoxious and boisterous. She simply always said, I'm going to put it in the heart of Jesus, which I trust completely. God has a plan. I believe in that plan. I have faith in that plan. And that is how I'm going to handle, she says, the setback 
in front of me, I will not be deterred by it because God is stronger than my opposition. It's a great model, no? We have setbacks too. We've all got personal crosses and challenges that come to us as people, as a community, as a nation, right? And we have a choice for how to respond. So there's economics, there's finances, there is politics, which is its own ongoing mess. It's an awful Packer season. It is depressing, isn't it, right? So here we all are, okay. Through it all, we can say the most important thing is the Lord and how does he want us to handle all that is challenging and distressing. He wants us to pray and he wants us to trust and to just simply work for the good of others. That's how we do it, like she did. What about how our parish looks like her? How does Cabrini Parish stack up next to the life of our patron saint? I would say that in my time here now, 13 plus years, I have continued to be really impressed by the way that we, I think, have modeled here very well our patron saint. We are people who pray, who love the Lord, of course, right? But also, I think we have a long history here, which I hope continues long after I'm gone, I'm sure that it will, of love for the poor and the sick and the suffering and those who face challenges, those on the margins of our world. Uh, so these days, that as the immigrant and the stranger, like it was back then, but also the unborn, they too have become a marginalized class in our society. Those who need to be understood properly by church teachings, we teach them about that too. Those who need shelter, those who need care, our journey students who are special guests from God that we teach here in this campus and across town in beautiful ways. So I feel like this has become, for me, a model, this parish, of her generosity, Mother Cabrini. And her spirit lives here in a very beautiful and inspiring way. And I think when others come here, they see it and they want to be a part of it. And they say, I want to give to that too. So I think that we're doing okay. And I think that her prayers for us here are tremendously helpful. And last couple of pieces, I think, uh, as we think about what it means to go forward and be like her into the future. She loved the Sacred Heart. She found great strength and renewal in the heart of Jesus Christ. As I've been here over the years, it's been kind of fun for me to, to watch, I would say, the devotion to the heart of Jesus grow in this community. It was always here, of course, but I think it has magnified somewhat. So as time has passed, we put a statue of the Sacred Heart in the back and put candles around it, and we put Mother Cabrini's icon up across from it. And the First Friday devotions here have spread, and the Mass tents has grown, and little First Friday breakfasts, which are a great gift to our community, and the First Friday devotions and the prayers. So it's kind of grown and multiplied in ways that are tremendously life-giving for a community. So if we ever have any problems, any challenges, any issues, she would say to us, Mother Cabrini, just run to the heart of Jesus. She'd say, wrap yourselves in him and immerse yourself in his love, and don't fear anything, because his heart surrounds you all the time. So I hope that our parish will continue to grow into the heart of the Lord, loving the heart of the Lord like our patron saint loved the heart of the Lord so, so much. So, on this feast day, what do churches do on feast days? We simply step back and marvel that God has raised up a great witness, that the saints are wonderful, their lives are so inspiring. Hers is too. What a beautiful person she was and still is. She prays for us from her place in heaven. So it's a good day to think about her, to ask her to help you with your challenges and cares, to visit her icon back there in the little candle area, to go to the Sacred Heart statue, to light a candle, and to study the window. You might even realize there's a quote from her on the back window back there about the Sacred Heart, and just to take it in and ask her to be your companion today, and wherever you go, and that wherever we will be, we'll be missionaries with her, who know Jesus is the most important thing, 
that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with him in our midst, in our hearts, with a sacred heart always wrapping us in love, like her we will not fail. We will triumph and will become the saints that we need to be for our world today. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, pray for us.